Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. We have several things to do tonight before we actually start chapter 17. Um, Someone asked me a question a while ago, and I've actually never heard this question asked before. It's something that the premillennialists do. The question was, is the book of Revelation in chronological order? I had actually never thought of that question before. Of course, premillennialists obviously believe it is. That's one of the reasons they get in trouble when they start talking about Armageddon being the end of the world. You can't have the end of the world in chapter 16 and have a thousand-year reign in chapter 20 on that same world that was destroyed four chapters earlier. But they do they do like to claim that Revelation is somewhat in chronological order. The answer to that is, I don't think so. I don't actually look at the book of Revelation as any type of chronological order, I do say it is in logical order. God is basically laying out a case, a court case against evil. It is a logical order, but as far as chronological order, I don't think so. And I believe um, our brother here was right. Premillennialists do believe it's chronological, and that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons they get themselves into all kinds of trouble when it comes to the book of Revelation. I would like to to finish something that I started at the end of the class last last Wednesday evening. I'll start back at the beginning and talk about three different passages in the book of Revelation that we have a tendency to pull out of the context of Revelation and use standalone. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. I don't. I, the first two verses that we're going to be talking about, it probably isn't wrong. I don't think I've ever done it myself, but I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. I'm just going to say when these, when these verses are taken out of the context of Revelation, they actually lose just a little bit of their meaning. So let's take a look at those. The first one is Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If I can get my page advancer turned on here. Okay. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, Fear none of these things which you have suffered. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days, but be thou faithful unto death, and you will, and I will give you a crown of life. That word unto, we like to use this verse, especially at funerals, and it's, it's scriptural, it's consistent, that use of the, of the verse is consistent with the rest of the Bible. Be faithful until the day you die and God's going to give you heaven. The verse actually means just a little bit more though within the context of the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter 12 verse 11, it says, And they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. That's the same Greek word, unto. That word means as far as or to the point of or during. Um, 
If you look, and we'll see this in just a few moments, if you look at what's happening in the book of Revelation, you ha- you ha- Revelation, singular, you have, you have these saints beneath the altar of God wanting God to avenge their blood because of being murdered, according to chapter 19 and 20, in the tribulation, something called the tribulation. This, this verse, chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame Satan, and they loved not their lives, even to the point of death. Same Greek word, same meaning. That word unto in both of these verses means even to the point of. It doesn't just simply mean, okay, to the day you, you live a, a, to the ripe old age and you die, and although that is, that is scriptural. This verse means just a little bit more than that. It's saying you be faithful even to the point of dying. And we're going to see, we're going to see that, that, that idea come up again probably with this verse. Yeah, with this verse, okay? The second verse is Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. This word blessed. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. We look at the word blessed, and we usually translate it happy. Happy or, or blessed. There's another word, according to BibleHub.com, another definition to this word that may actually apply to this word better. The definition is to be envied. Now, what exactly is taking place in Revelation? Okay, we have those who have been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they have. They are beneath the altar of God. Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, that these, these souls are asking God to avenge their blood. God tells them, rest a little while until the number of their fellow servants who are to be killed will be killed. We also see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, the saints are being beheaded. Let's look at Revelation fourteen thirteen within the context of the previous verses. It's saying that if you bow the knee to the beast, if you worship the idol, uh, fire and brimstone, torment ascends forever and ever, verse 11. No rest day or night, uh, he who worships the image. He's saying these people who worship this image, who worship this idol, are going to die spiritually. But if you hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God, you may die physically. But he's saying in verse 13, even if you die physically, you are to be envied of all people. Why? Because you're going to rest from your labors. Usually we just say, oh, happy if you die faithfully. This is going a little bit further than that. It's saying if you die for your faith, you are to be envied of all people. Little bit extra, little bit extra meaning there. Does that make sense? Am I, am I explaining that correctly to you? Little bit extra meaning. Is it okay to take these verses just standalone? They're scriptural. The meaning is scriptural. It's consistent with the rest of the Bible. So I'm not going to say yes or no. I will say, though, within the context of the Revelation, they do have just a little bit additional meaning to them. 
Now, here's two verses you cannot take out of the context of Revelation, and I hear it all the time. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things, God will add unto you the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Please, please, please do not use this verse to say that we should not change the gospel, that we add add to or take away from the gospel. It's actually not referring to the Bible. If you remember a few classes ago, we had a we had a question as to when did the book of Revelation make it into the canon of the Bible. When this verse was written, the Bible not only was not compiled, but Revelation was not going to be put into the canon of the Bible for another two to three hundred years into the future. It's not talking about the Bible. The Bible didn't exist when this, when this verse was written. It says, if you hear the words of the prophecy of this book, it's not talking about the Bible, it's talking about the book of Revelation. Don't change it. If you do want a verse that says, don't add to the gospel, don't take away from the gospel, the book of Galatians is your book. The entire book of Galatians is about don't change the gospel. Any comment on that one? That was a little bit more controversial because I've heard all my life, I still hear people using this verse to refer to the Bible as opposed to referring to the book of Revelation. Any comment on that? Whoa, okay, okay, okay. We got, hang on just a second. Let me, everybody's talking at the same time. Oh, I struck a nerve that time, I guess. Well, that's good though. I've got you, I've got y'all thinking. The book of Galatians is one of the most negative books in the Bible. There's only one actually positive comment in there. He said, you would have given your eyes for me. That's the only positive thing. Otherwise, he was on to them all the way through the book. Okay. Thank you. Who else? I heard other voices. Who else has a comment on that one? Of the three verses, this is by far the most controversial. This one, this one will start the most arguments because I don't know about you, but I've heard it all my life. This talked about, this, these, these two verses used to talk about the Bible and never, ever have I ever heard it referred to strictly for the book of Revelation. Any other comments on that? If, if you want to yell at me, go ahead. That's okay. He's talking about the words of the prophecy of this book. He's not talking about the Bible. He's not talking about the gospel. Remember in, oh, I forgot the, I forgot the chapter now. Yeah, Revelation chapter 14. When Revelation wants to talk about the gospel, it knows the Greek word for gospel. It actually uses the Greek word for gospel. So when Revelation wants to talk about the gospel, it knows how to say gospel. This doesn't say gospel. Okay, let's switch gears now. Uh, 
we haven't gotten anybody upset at us concerning songs in a long time. So let's talk about a couple of songs while we're here. Okay? Both of these songs are okay. One of them needs a little asterisk put beside one of the lines that says, Okay, beyond this land of parting versus in the land of fadeless day. Beyond this land of parting, the chorus says, Land beyond so fair and bright, land beyond where is no night. Summer land, God is its light, happy summer land of bliss. All right, you can actually, you're probably actually singing that song. You're probably going to have it stuck in your head the rest of the night, right? In the land of fadeless day, stanza number four says, There they need no sunshine bright in that city four square, for the Lamb is all the light, and there is no night there. Uh-oh. Do we have a problem here? This, 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 this song says the Lamb is all the light. In that previous song, it says God is its light. Is that a problem? Let's take a look at what Revelation actually says about this. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 says this, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The glory of God is what lights heaven, not the Lamb. There's an unfortunate translation here. That word light and the lamb is the light thereof. The Greek word actually means a portable lamp. Jesus is not the light of heaven. He reflects that light. Um, remember John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus said, How have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is a reflection of the Father. In this verse, in chapter 21, the Lamb is reflecting the glory of God. Now, is that a problem with these two songs? You can explain your way through it, do a little hand-waving, and I think you'll be okay. Just so long as you put a little asterisk beside this line, know that the source of the light in heaven is not the Lamb. The source of the light in heaven is the glory of God. But the Lamb reflects that glory. So the Lamb is not really all the light. The Lamb reflects all the light. Yes, sir? Here. Talk this way here. Third verse says that I'll the shepherd, the glory of God is, is the light. Yeah. It goes back to God. It's not the word of Jesus, it's the word of God. Is this a problem? Well, you can, you can logically work your way through the fact that Jesus is God, God is Jesus, Jesus is reflecting the light of God. But technically, it's the glory of God that lights heaven, it's not the Lamb. The Lamb does reflect that, that light. So, as long as you understand that, uh, you're, you're good on that song. This was one that, that's... I remember this song from back when I was real little. And, and, and as I grew older, I, I was wondering if this song was actually contradicting things I was hearing from the pulpit. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Uh, what, what happened? Okay. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, And he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I will confess his name. I will confess. That's key. Remember that phrase for a moment. On this song, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Stanza 4, it says, If my robe is white, when he calls me, if my robe is white, I will hear. If my robe is white, when he calls me, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Is this before or after judgment? It's before. Because we will have our name confessed before God, right? So this verse is saying we're going to have our robe, whatever that means in the spiritual sense, of course. We're going to have our white robe before judgment. I've always heard preachers say, well, when we go through judgment, when we get ready to walk through the pearly gates, the first thing that we're going to get is a white robe to wear. Well, that's after judgment. So is this stanza correct? It says before, it's clearly before judgment. Are we going to get our white robes before judgment? If you look in the book of Revelation, I assume this is where where this author gets this from. It's actually quite ingenious what he did. He looked at the saints who were beneath the altar of God and pulled this information from these verses, I suspect. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, uh, A large multitude standing before the throne of God and the Lamb clothed in white robes. Verse 13 who are these that are arrayed in robes, in white robes? Verse 14, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, clearly this is before judgment. Day. In fact, time still goes on now since, since this vision was given to John. So clearly, judgment hasn't come, but yet these saints already had their robes of white. Whatever, of course, whatever that means in the spiritual sense. So... I say kudos to the author of that song. That's actually, that's pretty insightful. Somebody read the book of Revelation before they tried to quote it in this case. So that could be a direct, a, a direct reference to, to those saints. Any comment on either one of those songs? It's just inter- interesting to me to take these songs and take a look at what, at a, what Revelation actually says about it and see, see if they actually read before they, before they wrote. Okay. Okay, now that we've spent about half of our class period, let's get started on, hello, chapter 17. Okay, I think we have Brother Glenn back with us. Welcome back, sir. Will you read chapter 17, please? Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, 
and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the one has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they received authority from one hour for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the, har- where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The ten horns which you saw on the beast These will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Thank you. Here's that lady's painting for chapter 17. She's a very talented artist, and from what I can tell, she stays very faithful to the book of Revelation and what it says. I like her pictures. We're going to look at at least seven topics out of the book of Revelation chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the main key chapter in the book of Revelation. In fact, it's I actually feel somewhat unprepared to, to actually talk about this because there's so much information to cover in this chapter. It's probably going to take us another two class periods to actually cover it. There's a lot of information here. We're going to find out who's who in this chapter and in verse chapter 18. We're going to find out the identity of pretty much everybody who has been mentioned in the book of Revelation thus far. At least we're going to be given some very good clues that we can use some deductive reasoning on and and come to a logical conclusion. 
Okay, we covered this last week, but I would like to show you again how to do some research that I would like for you to do. This is God's view of a non-repentant sinner. Uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 4, it says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abomination and filthiness of her fornication. I would like for you to research abomination and filthiness. You can just do it, or don't do it on your own. I'll show you how to do it, how I would like for you to do it. Go to BibleHub.com. If you have not gone to BibleHub.com, do it. It is such an incredible site. Lots of good cross-referencing, lots of good information. If you go to BibleHub.com at the top, type in the word Revelation 17, colon 4. Then click your little uh, magnifying glass to do the search. When you do, you'll come to a page that looks like this. This is the parallel page, for lack of a better better term. It will show you the verses as translated by all the versions of the Bible and all the translations of the Bible that are supported by BibleHub.com. There's at least there's at least 32 of them. I think there's more like 35 or 40. When you get there, click on that I-N-T-E-R-L-I-N. You may be able to see that. That's the interlinear. When you go to the interlinear page, it looks like this. Now, I've showed you this before. This is each Greek word found in the verses in the Bible, in the New Testament. Each Greek word comes in a column. In this column, you have five rows. The top row, row number one, is a number followed by the letter E, a lowercase e, within brackets. The number is the Strong's Concordance cross-reference number for that Greek word. The E will take you to the Englishman's commentary and, and, and concordance. Um, in a minute, I'll show you a link where you get everything on a single page. The second row of this box is the transliterated word. is transliterated into the English letters from the Greek word. Uh, the third column is the Greek word itself. The fourth column, uh, the third row, the fourth row is the literal translation of this Greek word now into English. Now this gets really interesting. If you don't have a Greek interlinear, I, I, I recommend you get one. And if not, you can go to this website. It's interesting to read Greek interlinears because they give you the direct translation into English of this Greek word, but they don't worry about English grammar. You're actually seeing, for lack of a better term, the Greek grammar. So it makes for some interesting reading, and, and, and sometimes that gives you a little bit of insight into some of the things that these verses are saying. The fifth, the fifth row of this box is the Greek parts of speech. If you will click on the second row, which is the transliteration into English, you will come to a, a page that looks like this. You're going to see three or four translations as it uses that Greek word, and you're going to see every instance of that Greek word through the New Testament. Now, click on the word summary, because what we're wanting to get to is this page. This page gives you... On the left-hand side, it gives you lots of information from Strong's Concordance to Nayers to Thayers, 
uh, Englishman's, you're getting a, a good summary from lots of different sources on the actual meaning of this word. What you need to do now is to take that English, English word from Greek, copy-paste that into your favorite search engine. Copy-paste it in there and search on it. Go to as many websites as you feel like reading and look at the actual definitions and usage of this word. Now, some of these links you're going to go to are going to be links giving you synonyms to this word, which is, which is even better. Go to the synonyms and do the same word search on those synonyms as you're doing with this Greek word. And then you'll start finding some of the things that I want you to find about this word. Um, you can also go back, back here. Um, let me mark this right quick. You can actually do this same searching with, with the Greek word. The Greek word's right there. You can copy paste that and see what, see what you come up with. Do a word, do, do a search on, on both of those words, please. And, See what you come up with. You will get a very clear definition, a very clear picture of what God looks at, what God is seeing when he looks at a non-repentant sinner, which is the villain of the book of Revelation. Okay, enough of that. Oh, by the way, those instructions are, are on the website. They're on the Revelation web, website that's listed in your, in your sheet. Uh, it's under chapter 16. If you download the chapter 16 slides, you'll see those, those instructions. Okay. Kings of the earth. Who are the kings of the earth? Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. And there came, and there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, and talk to me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot that sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This takes us back to the question, who actually is the villain of the book of Revelation? It's interesting that, that the kings of the earth are being given a hard time. Are the kings of the earth the ones that have been murdering the saints? Are they the ones that have been persecuting the church? I haven't seen... Yes, sir? Yes, but these are the kings of the earth. What do they have to do with the villain? They're following him, but, but there's no historic evidence that these guys are murdering any of the saints. There, there's no historical evidence that the kings of the earth are actually persecuting the saints. So why are they be, being given such a difficult time in the book of Revelation? Why are they getting blamed for the same thing the villain's being blamed for? I mentioned a number of lessons ago that if you give the book of Revelation enough time, it will probably answer all your questions for you. This is one of those questions that are, is actually going to be answered in chapter 18. 
We'll get into it just a little bit here. Let's go to the next slide. What is the history of the kings of the earth through the book of Revelation? Well, Revelation chapter 6, these kings of the earth hid in mountains. They wanted the mountains to fall upon them, to hide them from the wrath of God. Do you have a question? Oh, you look like a thought came to your mind you wanted to say. Okay, sorry. Revelation chapter 16, when these little frog creatures coming out of the mouth of the dragon went to the kings of the earth to gather their armies together, figuratively speaking, in order to do battle against God. Revelation chapter 17, the the, the verses we just read, it looks like these kings of the earth may be guilty by association. We're also going to find, however, the villain reigns over these kings of the earth. The question is, why? Chapter 18 tells us why. These kings of the earth are allowing the villain to pretty much run their countries, run their lives, because in exchange, the villain has given them power and wealth. So much so that the book of Revelation chapter 18 is going to go into excruciating detail documenting that wealth. And I'm going to go into excruciating detail with you just to make that point when we get there. They get their wealth and they get their power from this villain. In exchange, the villain is allowed to rule them. Now, we also have a warning to the saints that says these kings of the earth, these inhabitants of the earth, they're about to get in trouble. You saints come out from among them so that those plagues that I'm going to send their way, God says, doesn't hit you as well. So the kings of the earth are quite... They're mentioned quite a few times in the book of Revelation, and that's why when we get to chapter 18, that's going to make a whole lot more sense. So what is this deal about about encouraging evil, enabling evil, facilitating evil? If you go to 2 John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, If there come to any of you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Oh, wow. I don't even have to be a... I don't even have to go with this person and spread this false doctrine to be a fellow partaker in his evil deeds. All I have to do is encourage him by saying Godspeed. Godspeed basically means I I hope you do well in your endeavors, basically, is what what it's saying. I think for people who, who like to use the word luck, it basically says, good luck. So the question is this, and, and this is something that can be debated until the, until the cows come home. But still, it's an interesting question. If we encourage evil, or we enable evil, or we facilitate someone to do evil, are we going to be held blameless? According to this verse, no. All you have to do is say Godspeed to someone who doesn't, who is teaching a false doctrine, and you're suddenly in trouble yourself. Even though you didn't actually participate in the teaching of that doctrine. Why? 
Actually, I'm not, I'm not going to hit the clicker. That's a good question. Why? Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think if I bid God speed, then I become partaker in his evil deeds? What do you think? What is your understanding of Scripture concerning that matter? In effect, it's speaking out against the gospel or saying, you know, go spread your uh, uh, evil gospel instead of the gospel. Okay. You're encouraging them to do just that. Okay. Hmm? Another right, another gospel, correct. Yes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Let's step back one level of abstraction. Let's, let's look at just an overall view of this, okay? In the Old Testament, generally speaking, it's not true every time, but generally speaking, in the Old Testament, God judges actions. In the New Testament, Jesus specifically judges attitude. He judges your heart. If that's where your heart is, that's what's being judged. If you're encouraging someone to sin, if you're facilitating someone to sin, if you're enabling someone to sin, if you're trying to get someone to sin, you may not be guilty of that sin, but you're guilty of something. God's going to hold you accountable for doing that. That's what that verse is saying to me. Do you agree with that? Similar to Romans chapter 1, that talks about uh, the different sins that, that people are practicing and those who approve of them will be guilty as well. Okay, thank you. Yes. Now that's, to me that's pretty straightforward. What scares me is I don't know where the line is drawn. I don't know what I have to do in my life to actually encourage sin. Um, let's just take a, a silly illustration to, to, to help me make my point. Let's say there is a store. Let's say it's an old record store, okay? I don't care. It's a store. And I know they're doing bad things. I know it's a front for drugs. I know it's uh, whatever. They're doing wrong. If I go and I go buy something from that store, am I bidding them Godspeed? Can I go about my life buying and selling and doing whatever I need to do to support my family, to live, whatever? Can I just do normal things ooh, and still be guilty of this? Or does it have to be a conscious effort to bid Godspeed, quote-unquote, to someone who's evil? You be in the world, but not of the world. What scares me about this is, do I ever step across that line and not realize it? And perhaps that is the answer to the question. If I'm not trying to step over that line, then... 
then my heart is still right. A lot of, um, over the past three or four decades, boycotting companies and products has always been in the news. And there's a product, well, Anheuser-Busch and Nike are in hot water right now. With a lot of with a lot of people, if I buy Nike shoes, am I participating in what Nike as a company is trying to promote? I would I would think, yeah. I don't I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Can I live my life as normal, just normally, buying and selling and doing what I need to do, and keep out of this trouble? Yes, sir. goes back to that verse you you live in the world but you don't live like it yeah and it all goes to me it looks like it all goes back to intent is that your intent is your intent to promote what these people are promoting or are you just trying to buy a product because you need a pair of shoes hang on a second it also goes to whether it's going to cause a brother or sister to stumble as well. We read about that in Romans and also in Corinthians uh, when it talks about the meats, you know, they could partake of the meat that was offered to idols is not a problem unless it caused somebody to stumble or you did it for the wrong reasons. Okay. Yep. If your conscience convicts you, it's sin. Uh, so one has to be certain that their conscience is well educated. This is true. It all goes back to the word educated. You're right. You're right. Did these kings of the east, not kings of the east, the kings of the earth, did these kings of the earth know what the villain of the book of Revelation was doing? Probably. Probably so, because they were probably part of the, part of the empire themselves. But their, their motivation was they wanted power just like the villain. We will, we will go along with whatever the villain is doing. That's fine as long as we get ours. Interesting question, though. We know, we know one thing for sure. These kings of the earth are in trouble. And they're going to be in trouble in chapter, chapter 18. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.